This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi, friend. Welcome to this episode of Decoding Obesity. Exercise is an essential part of overall health, but it is also important for obesity. We had Jessica Kalir on the previous episode, you know, talk about how to increase physical activity in children. You know, we've often seen ads for gyms and other exercise programs, you know, promising the moon with all the testimonials to back them up. But what is the truth? I'm happy to welcome Jessica back to my show. For all of you who don't know her, she's an experienced certified exercise physiologist, nutritionist, and a health coach with over 10 years of clinical weight management experience. She played several key roles in developing and delivering content and programs to improve the care of patients struggling with obesity. She currently works as a coordinator in bariatric medicine at Guthrie Medical Group. Welcome back, Jessica. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, this, you know, the last episode was fun, and I think this is going to be as fun as well. Let's talk about, you know, this physical activity and the whole confusion about exercise, physical activity. Let's start by defining, you know, some of the basic terms that we use to kind of describe physical activity. What does energy expenditure mean? What is TDEE, BMR, RMR, TEF? I mean, these terms are thrown around everywhere. What really are these? So the big thing we look at, and we'll start with BMR and RMR, because really those are the things you hear the most. And what do they mean? So BMR is basal metabolic rate, and then RMR is resting metabolic rate, which essentially they're exactly the same. You'll just see one used versus the other. So I always use BMR. That's just what I've always been accustomed to. And BMR is important to know because that's the calories and things you burn at rest. Essentially, though, it's all the things that you do on a daily basis. It's how it keeps you alive. How many calories do you need a day to just survive? And then we start to calculate different things into it. And that's where you see TDEE, total daily energy expenditure. So that factors in your metabolic rate, your basal metabolic rate. And then usually what we do is multiply it by a certain number to account for how active you are. And there's a range of a couple different numbers. So it goes by, you know, do you work a sedentary job and don't exercise? Do you work a very active job? Go to the gym five days a week. So that's how you're able to then skew those calories to make sure that when we're prescribing, you know, diets and different programs, how do we properly feed you? Because that's really the, the goal is how do we properly feed you to help get the goals that you're trying to achieve? Then you start to look at, you know, we've heard some things now, especially with the new year and everybody trying to sell us things, the thermic effect of food. This is where sometimes people have heard, if I eat something spicy, it's going to raise my metabolism. It's not, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I've been hearing about celery since I was a teenager, that if you eat celery, you burn more calories to eat it than you consume. Not really true either. And the tricky part is, if you look hard enough, there is a lot of research both ways, and it's kind of very controversial. I think you get in a funny game. If you try to plan foods that might burn calories, I think that's a really tricky game. I always just say, eat a really good diet, eat a very balanced diet, and burn your calories in a different way. Then we look at NEAT, and the NEAT comes into the picture with non-exercise active activity thermogenesis. The reason this starts to come in is this is how we define physical activity versus exercise, because they are not the same. They go hand in hand, and both are important, but one is not the other, and that's important to understand, is physical activity, by definition, is 
the things we do on a, the movement that we do that's over sitting essentially. Um, we will get our heart rate up for some of it, but it's not sustained long enough to get the benefits of exercise. And that's where exercise is important is exercise is elevated heart rate for a sustained period of time, which then we see the improvement in cardiovascular health and its benefits. Um, so we'll see this a lot of times is, um, oh, you know, I, I started parking farther from work or I parked farther in the grocery store. And that definitely is a great thing to do, but it doesn't count as our exercise for the day. It just increases our daily activity. And this also is important when it's been a few years now, more than a few, but when all the wearables came out, all the trackers and all those things is there was a big push for a while. Uh, just get your 10,000 steps. You don't necessarily need those 150 minutes a week of exercise that we've been talking about forever, but get your 10,000 steps. And now what we're starting to see, and the research is coming out, it's going to take some time as always, is what we're finding is it's not just the 10,000 steps, it's what you do in those 10,000 steps. So if it's a lot of up and go, went to the grocery store, running around with your kids, and you hit 10,000 steps, you're going to notice you don't get the same effect as someone who did 30 minutes of continuous exercise in those 30, in those 10,000 steps. And that's where we've started to see some push now of, I don't want to say getting back to the basics, but kind of starting to come back to the basics a little bit. So how does, you know, where does NEAT fall into all of this? You know, that's non-exercise activity, thermogenesis. We're talking about, you know, really increasing increasing our activities so that our heart rates are really up. So in terms of, you know, kind of management of obesity per se, what's the role of NEAT versus, say, exercise? I think the role of NEAT is how can we encourage you to be up on your feet more throughout the day? There's been a big push in, you know, quote, sitting disease, we've called it. Now people who aren't moving for periods of time. And obviously anybody who's been working virtual, it's definitely been a big issue. But that's where neat plays in is how do we encourage not only exercise, but how do we encourage you just to be more active throughout your day? And it does play a role because when you look at, you know, weight loss, weight management, the more we get you up moving, whether we like it or not, we are burning more calories. You're not going to get the same cardiovascular effect, but we do know it's good for you to be up moving. We get better circulation. We know it helps with mood. And overall, you do burn more calories by at least being up and moving more throughout the day. Right. And, you know, a lot of times when people go to the gym, they're sold on this idea that they can really outrun a bad diet. You know, I have a donut. I'm just going to go on the treadmill and run it and burn it off. Mm -hmm. But we know that that's rarely happens. That's really not the truth. So what are really the guidelines in terms of, you know, physical exercise for health benefits overall and specifically for obesity? And what is the data on the role of exercise in weight loss versus weight maintenance? So, well, then we'll break them up. And that's what's important is so when you look at exercise with weight loss, and we'll start there first, you know, we're still by the standards about 150 minutes a week. We're starting to see it inch up closer to 300. And there's been some studies starting to push it that way a little bit. But really the rule with exercise in weight loss is to help support lean body mass. Because the remember too, the more muscle or lean body mass we have, the higher your metabolic rate. That's what affects your metabolism. So as we lose weight, we try to preserve as much of our BMR as we can, because that's what long-term will help us sustain at a lower weight. What happens too, is we do know we do how it does help make that caloric deficit that we need to lose weight. And it is hard to do so without exercise, but can we lose weight without exercise? Absolutely. Can we lose weight with just exercise and not changing how we eat? No. And we know that because really, you know, a standard 30 minute walk, depending, and you know, there's a lot of factors, speed, how much the person weighs, but let's just say about 250 calories will just be even number. That's not a huge deficit. 
And so if we go and have, you know, like you said, like a donut, things like that, you're never going to be able to out-exercise what you ate. And I always try to discourage talking about that too, because it sets up this, well, I can't have this because then I have to exercise this long. And it's like, you separate the two. I'm exercising because of this goal. I'm eating well because of this goal, even though they're both to help manage and treat obesity and maintain weight, we'll break them up a little bit. Right. And I think a lot of times what happens is all the machines that are out there and all the things that people use and all the apps that people use, they throw out these numbers. You know, you walk for these many minutes and this is the average speed of walking and this is the expected number of calories that you're going to burn. Obviously, you know, as we continue to exercise, we get better at a particular level. The number of calories that we burn are going to be less the body becomes more efficient. So that, that, you know, kind of brings the question, how accurate are these measurements? And not only that, you know, whenever you enter your data into an app, it'll tell you, okay, this is your BMR. And it'll ask you, how active are you? Are you sedentary? Are you working or physically active, not active? And it'll, it'll throw a number that, okay, this is the amount of calories that you need to burn in a day, or this is your calorie goal for the day. How accurate are these? I mean, is there any data on this? And what about the calories that you see on the machines? So there's been some data, and I'm, I will be honest, I haven't looked at it in a while, but it's fairly, it's always been fairly inaccurate. And that's why I tell patients, don't look at the calories burned on these machines, because they can be very, very, very inaccurate. I mean, really, it goes by any kind of BMR calculator. It's hard without actually measuring it through the tools that we have, because you also want to make sure what is that body fat percentage, because that makes a big difference. Because someone who we can weigh the same and be the same age, but if our body fat percentages are different, our metabolic rates are going to be completely different. So if you, if we're the same and we go and hop on that machine, it's going to say we burn the same calories, but it didn't get any of the details needed to actually figure that out. So what I always tell patient recommendations is don't look at that. Instead, you set your goals. How long am I able to go for and how hard can I work during that time? So in, by being able to push yourself and looking at those, that's how you actually grow instead of focusing on some number that we know is actually fairly inaccurate. Right. So I don't think we should get hooked onto the numbers that we see on the machines. I think it's, it's really about listening to your body and kind of going by what your body says. But how much would be too much or how do you set the goals when you go out there? I think looking at where you're starting from, that's a conversation I've always had with patients is, you know, when's the last time you've exercised consistently, if, you know, if ever, what are you able to tolerate? If you were to go for a walk right now at a good pace, how long can you go for? Because a lot of times too, we have to be careful on how we recommend exercise because we know the standards five days a week, 30 minutes, but we, you know, I've had, you know, over the 10 years, a lot of patients who they can only do five minutes at a time, meet them there. Because if I tell you to go do 30 minutes, five times a week, and you can only walk for five minutes. Either they're never going to try because they know they can't do it, or they'll try it once and they're never going to do it again because they're defeated. So really having that conversation of what do you think you can do now? And then you start to increase it as their ability increases as well. But you'll also gain their trust. And then you also get that they'll feel accomplished because really what you're looking for is you want them to feel good when they're done because you want them to do it again the next day. And even sometimes if it, and I'll tell them all the time, like, remember too, they'll say, well, what's five minutes going to do? And I'm like, Five minutes, five times this week, still 25 minutes. 25 minutes is still more this week than we've done. And it's a starting point. It's not forever. But when they're able to feel accomplished, it's amazing how much more they want to do because they feel good about themselves and they feel good doing it. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you, like, how little, what's the minimum time that people should actually increase their physical activity for? Because a lot of times we want to set separate times for exercise, right? And we may not be able to find those times during our day. So how little do we need to do to actually start getting the benefits? I think that's very patient dependent and where they're coming from. But I always tell people, you know, if you have your goals that, you know, say I'm going to do four days a week or five days a week. And today 
you know, being a mother, working mother myself, things fall apart sometimes, you know, okay, I couldn't get my 30, 45 minute workout I wanted today. I have 10 minutes. Can I do something in 10 minutes? Now, obviously we can't always shortchange ourselves and hope for a different outcome, but it's still better than nothing. And what it does too, is it keeps us consistent. So today may not have been perfect. It may not have even been remotely perfect, but I still did something. So when you look at that accomplishment of consistency and routine, it helps keep us there. And what are your thoughts on the compensatory hunger? I know there's some data that's kind of conflicting and some data points towards the increase in hunger with increased exercise. I know I've experienced that. Like I feel famished and I really want to eat the whole day. But what are your thoughts on that? And how do you help patients with that? I think it definitely happens. And I know there's certain days of my programming that I'm hungry all day long because it was that hard of a workout. And I think it really goes back to, you know, good balanced nutrition. Are we getting enough protein? Because we know the protein helps support hunger. Are you getting enough healthy fat? Are you getting non-starchy veggies? That's a big thing. It helps fill us up. It takes time to digest. But I really think getting back to, you know, are you getting enough protein? Are you getting enough veggies? Are we getting enough water? Because if we're doing that, it will help control our appetite. Right. And sometimes, too, if it's been a really hard workout and you're a little hungrier, it's okay to eat a little bit more that day. But I will say if you have really good balance of those macronutrients, you do a much better job controlling your hunger. We're not trying to eliminate it because you need to eat, but just doing it so that we're not all of a sudden getting done working out and wanting to eat the house. Right. So it's not like I did my bit and now I get to splurge. It's about kind of having still having the balanced nutrition to kind of fuel the body for a healthier you. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to consistency too. And depending on, you know, depending on what a patient's working through and their level intensity of workouts too, is staying consistent every day. Because what you'll also find too is patients will go and cut themselves lower on days they're not exercising because they view it as, well, I'm resting, I'm not burning any calories. So now when they do exercise, they're already in a sharper deficit than they should have been. So now they're more hungry. So it's being very consistent every day, whether you have exercise programmed or not, because that recovery phase is just as important. I see. One of the questions actually, you know, one of my listeners emailed me was, how do I keep my resting metabolic weight up? We know that, you know, with any weight loss, no matter how you do it, the basal metabolic rate or the resting metabolic rate is going to go down. So what do you recommend people do to kind of at least help it stay a little up? Exercise and protein, because it really goes back to the way we support our metabolic rate is maintaining lean body mass. And this goes with not only, and we'll see it, so I also work as part of a bariatric surgery program, and I've been the fitness specialist for that for a long time, is the patients who we can really control how much muscle they lose, their metabolic rate stays very close to what it did even 100 pounds ago. And it goes to not only a large weight loss, but it goes as aging, because we get that all the time is, you know, I'm getting older, my metabolism quote shop. The only reason our metabolism comes down as we age is because we lose muscle mass. We're not as active. We're not doing the same things we were. So it really goes back to getting enough protein to support muscle mass and that good, regular, weight-bearing activity. I see. And that will help keep the resting metabolic rate up to whatever extent the body can tolerate, right? The maximum maximum possible. Exactly. And we actually have used biologic impedance scales, like higher end ones. And we can actually track this. And we, and we do see this. If a patient's not exercising, not getting enough protein, we will see their metabolic rate drop where we've seen people lose 100, 150 pounds and their metabolic rates within 100 of what it was pre-surgical, which is really good. Right. You know, Jessica, some of the programs that I've come across, and I don't <laughs> want to name any programs, they talk about, you know, being in the quote unquote fat burning zone. You get this X heart rate and you do this activity and you do this exercise and you're going to be in the fat burning zone and you're only going to burn fat. What's really the reality behind that? 
So it's tricky because there's so much research in such a variety of different ways. I feel like it's changed over the years. I'm definitely of the mindset that if you can maintain a higher heart rate for a longer period of time, that is always the way to go. Now, you know, there's been some things that if you do low sustained heart rate, but I'm a firm believer, if we can maintain a higher heart rate for a longer period of time, now you're improving that cardiovascular health because really your body doesn't say, oh, you know, I 155 beats per minute. Now I'm in the cardio zone and I dropped two beats down and now I'm only burning fat. Unfortunately, we aren't that our bodies don't figure it out that well. So what I always say is work at a pace that you can maintain for what you're trying to do that day but be able to work as hard as you can. And when I say that, that doesn't mean, you know, go all out and drop dead in five minutes. It means work as hard as you can and sustain it. What are your thoughts on high intensity interval training? I mean, that's the other thing that has become kind of popular, you know, work out for these many minutes and you still get the benefits of working out for longer. So what are your thoughts on that? I personally enjoy it. That's my method of exercise. I do work out a little bit harder, but I think it's very patient dependent too. So I think you also, you know, everybody was being prescribed, you know, all these hit exercises and all these kind of things. Does the patient enjoy that? That's one, because it is a different level of working out. We do know if you do higher level intensity exercise, the recommendations actually drop to about 75 minutes per week versus that 150. So we know you can be more efficient, but I think it's very patient specific. We have to look at what are their comorbidities is it safe for that patient? And I think we've gotten a little away from what a HIT actually means. So not every interval workout is a HIT workout. And that's the difference is, but if a patient enjoys that higher intensity and can safely do it, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I think it's really, once again, having that conversation with their patient and seeing what's best for them. Because there's a lot of patients I worry about their joints. We worry about their cardiovascular health, being able to maintain that. So I think it's being the person looking at the bigger picture with the patient. Right. You know, you had mentioned about 75 minutes and then we had talked about 150 minutes and then we had talked about 300 minutes. I just wanted to put this into perspective for, you know, what it actually means per day. So, you know, 150 minutes means about 30 minutes a day, five days a week of exercise, right? And what we see for weight maintenance is now it's going up to 300 minutes. That would mean about an hour of exercise a day, which is a lot of exercise that needs to be done. Just to put everything into perspective, you know, for people who think that they can outrun a bad diet. And this is also not for like a substantial weight loss. It's kind of to, to prevent weight regain from occurring. So that's a lot of exercise that you need just to prevent the weight regain from occurring. Just to put, you know, the numbers into perspective, you know, if you look at the whole week and you say 300 minutes may not look too much, but it's actually about an hour a day. And it's just to prevent the weight regain. And like you mentioned, 75 minutes is for, you know, the higher HD interval training. What are some of the myths that you've come across from your patients about going to the gym, physical activity, exercise? I know something that I've heard is, Doc, if I do this, I'm going to convert my fat into muscle. Oh, yes, that's one. And it goes hand in hand with fat weighs more than muscle. So we still hear this all the time. So remember, too, one can't turn into the other. So what we see is, you know, as we decrease body fat, increase muscle, we'll see those fat cells shrink, but one never turns into each other. And I always use the analogy that, you know, my lung cell all of a sudden doesn't become my liver cell. They just don't happen that way, unfortunately. And it goes to the muscle weighs more than fat. And we think we have models in the office and it's nice to show what they look like. Because I always use the example, I love analogies. So I'll use, you know, if I have one pound of bricks and one pound of feathers, they both weigh a pound. One pound on a scale is one pound, but it's how they're distributed. Muscle we know is very tight and fat is loose and fluffy. And it's the same thing why we can't just go by height and weight and BMI standards is because we don't know where's that weight coming from. 
you know, are you 50% body fat or are you 25% body fat? We can weigh exactly the same, but that's going to dictate our health outcomes differently. Right. And what are the other things that people talk to you? I mean, this is the most common thing that I've come across. Are there any other things that people come to you and tell you and you're like, okay, no, no, this is not it. This is the reality. I think there's so many different things you have, you know, in the gimmicks, you have, you know, people wearing these weight, these belts that make your waist sweat more. You're just going to sweat more. What other ones? There's a lot of gimmicky kind of programs. And if you do things in a certain way, and what we're starting to find is if you just go back to the basics, we'll be okay. But it's hard because they promise the world. And let's be honest, I do enjoy exercise more than most. And I get that. But if I didn't have to necessarily do it every day, and there was a quicker, easier way, I'm not going to say I might not try it too. So I think it's, and it's targeted because exercise sometimes is hard. It is work. So we kind of get a little targeted in all these gimmicky kind of things. <laughs> Trying to find the easier way out. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. there is no easy way out. <laughs> I read a thing and it's been, I can't remember I read it the other day, one of my studies and stuff. And it said, you know, if exercise was able to be a pill, it actually would be the most prescribed pill we would actually prescribe because the benefits of it are just that great. It's just hard to do it. It's a hard pill to swallow at this point in time, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) What are your final thoughts before we end this session? I think my biggest focus for people is meet the patients where they're at and have that conversation. Because if they leave empowered, you have them right from the get-go. I think really, too, to encourage strength training. I can't say that enough. The more we can maintain or improve their muscle mass and lean body mass, not only do we do a better job helping them lose body fat and improving their body fat percentage, but we do a better job maintaining weight long-term without as much hard work, which is really important long-term. And then my final one is consistency. It does not ever have to be perfection. None of us are perfect, unfortunately. How do you just get people to stay consistent and recognize it's not all or nothing? Hey, today you didn't get your 30 minutes in, but you got 15. Fine, go with it. Tomorrow's a new day. Okay, that's very insightful. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining me and you know, really taking a deeper look into exercise and physical activity, especially as it pertains to obesity. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.